Hey, how's it going, universe? Welcome to another episode of Zoobox Goes to the Movies. And today, Dan is returning to help me talk about one of our, I think mutually, one of our favorite movies ever. There Will Be Blood yeah. from 2007. The movie is directed by Paul mm. Thomas Anderson. Written by Paul Thomas Anderson. Adapted from Upton Sinclair's Oil. The Not a direct movie. adaption. Not a, no, well, it's apparently it's like 150 pages. Is very... Oh, really? Like, you're talking basically the first 20, 25 minutes of the movie type shit? No, I mean, just like, because Upton Sinclair was kind of a guy that was a critic of, uh, kind of put out the first books that were like critical analysis of, of industry. industry. Yeah, industry, like uh, The Jungle, which is the meat production. Yeah, factory farming and stuff like that. Yeah. So he kind of chronicled that stuff, almost as like an investigative journalist. And uh, yeah, so AW dude, that's all you fucking was fucking. <laughs> and a, and a lot of the, uh, you know, obviously the the little probably details of that era were pulled from Upton Sinclair's oil. And this uh, is going to be this is going to be spoiler episode. Like we're no yeah, like, pretty much. Any, if you're listening to this, you should have watched it already. Pretty much. Any any zoo box goes to the movies thing. I think it's pretty safe to say uh, we've kind of shifted gears. We're just doing kind of picking the movies that we want to talk about, not movies necessarily that have just come out. Unless something comes out, we want to talk. God damn about. it, Tenet, dude, we're doing it. Oh, we're doing we're doing it, man. But that's one we want to talk about. Sometimes we would just ah, talk about things because they came out, and it's and, like, well, we don't need before to. Before we that. continue, though, before we continue, I just want to, I just want to say to my, uh, my buddy Latell, you know, thank you for giving us the inspiration to go over some PTA uh, films. Yeah, you know? Dan, I think Dan and I, over the course of the summer, are going to try to cover most of his filmography, at least touch on the ones that we really love, uh, and we'll, we'll won't spoil anything for anybody, but yeah. Yeah, so this is kind of our first uh, listener request. Uh, one, one we were very happy to do, because this is actually one Dan and I had talked about a few months ago. But like, oh, we should do Paul Thomas Anderson movies, because we have such a love and respect for them. Um, and now we are. Here we're starting. We're starting with There Will Be Blood. Um, stars Daniel Day-Lewis, Paul Daniel, Syrian Hines, and others. <laughs> I haven't showered in two days and been drinking nothing but Jameson in preparation for it. You're ready. You're ready to um, go, buddy. For this... <laughs> Oh, steak, and I've been eating a lot of steak. Oh, I eat a lot of steak anyway, so uh, it works yeah. for me. I'm all in. Uh, so where do we start with this? Like, when when did you first become aware of There Will Be Blood? Like, what's oh, your personal well, story? I Oh, dude, I think it was you, because of you. Obviously, like, most of the movies I saw, probably, uh, until I left. But, uh, yeah, I think I saw it, and yeah, I, I knew I had seen the trailer, for because the, the famous trailer was The Milkshake. Like the milkshake, yeah, yeah. That was the first introduction to it, and I didn't really see any, know anything else about it. And me and my buddy Mike, we were, you know, going to his house, and I was like, "Well, I'll grab a few movies, I guess." So I just kind of snagged a few DVDs from the good old under the TV, and there will be blood. I was like, "Oh, what is this?" Like this, is I just grabbed it, and so we got home and we watched it, and uh, ah, so awesome. It'd be it's one of those movies that you either you just fall. In, I felt like you just. How do you not fall in love with it within the first ten minutes? Oh, well, it's a, it's an incredibly engrossing from the get go. Um, my personal experience with it is I was a Paul Thomas Anderson fan. Like I was aware of Boogie Nights, I was aware of Magnolia. I had grown up watching that stuff, 
and I just kind of blindly went to see it. I didn't really know much about it. At the time, I was living in Alaska. I was really poor. I didn't have... I didn't really watch TV, so I, I don't think I ever even saw a trailer for this before I saw it. I just went in. Just cold. It was just like... And uh, got so swept up in it, I saw it the next day. I went back and saw it the next day, and I had literally had like no money. <laughs> you, had, you had to steal an extra pack of cigarettes to survive, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, it was a movie I was just immediately taken with. I think I had the same reaction to you as you. Like you, fe- I remember that distinctly feeling as if I was falling in love with it as I was watching it. Yeah, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Yeah. It was the first time I had watched the movie that felt like that profound or that engrossing since I had seen, you know, like a Stanley Kubrick movie when I was a teenager, like it just immediately, boom, you are in this vision. You are in this world. Uh, it feels so relatable, but distant at the same time. Cause that's the cool thing about, especially what PTA has been doing post there will be blood. Cause this is kind of a, the second era, right? The second chapter of his film filmography. If you go back and you watch, uh, Hard Eights, and then you watch Boogie Nights, and then you watch Magnolia. They feel like one perspective, like, and then you go from There Will Be Blood to The Master to Phantom Thread and or Inherent Vice, and then Phantom Thread. That feels like almost like a different, like a more mature version of yeah. him. But what he does is he brings you into these worlds that you have no context for, and grounds it in such a in a reality but draws you in with 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 themes that you're not even aware of when you're watching it and characters mm-hmm. like he's like one of these dudes who just casts great faces you know yeah. everybody's got such a great look they look like they are from that time or that place and it feels complete it's like you could look at old photographs of old prospectors and stuff and they would look exactly like the fucking people do in this movie well yeah I mean that's that would be the good mark of a of a good director, right? Oh, for sure. It's, far, fa- it's like watching Tarantino and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood feels very of the time, like you know. Oh, for sure. It's very well done in that I, aesthetically pleasing way. I think that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is is on another level than Tarantino. I think he's more on the level of like Stanley Kubrick. I've been revisiting a lot of Stanley Kubrick lately because uh, if you want to go listen, uh, not the this past episode of Zoobox goes to the movies was all about the shining. And we did a deep dive in the shining and got into all the subtext and the theories and whatnot. And it just reminded me of like how fucking incredible Kubrick is. But then when you go watch something like there will be blood, it's got the same type of layering. There's so much going on on a, on a meta level and then a subtextual level about what this story is really about and what, like what it says about the human condition you know, this is like something Martin Scorsese got a lot of flack for this uh, last year, earlier this year. I can't even remember. Time is like, <laughs> time just doesn't exist anymore. But mm-hmm. when he criticized the Marvel movies, he's like, they're theme park rides. He's like, a film is something that investigates human nature, the human experience. And then we understand humanity and ourselves a little bit better for having experienced this movie. Like, and I think. Paul Thomas Anderson's work, especially post There Will Be Blood, is all about that stuff. It's all about the layers. It's all about what you can, how much you want to dig in, you know? And uh, so that's why it's, I, Paul Thomas Anderson is like a modern day savant. He's like a genius. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think there's really, I've never watched a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and felt disappointed. You know, I've never watched one and said, ah, that's just not for me. Even something like Magnolia, which is 
abhorrently long. Uh, but yeah, it's, but it's, it's his soap opera, you know, it's his big. Soap yeah, opera. and it's fun though. It's a fun movie. But back to there will be blood. I think the way the music for me is really honestly the biggest part of this film that always impresses me is the how sinister it feels at all. Like, it's so it's just got this. It really builds out the movie for me when nothing's happening. I don't think uh daniel plainview talks for what 20 minutes or so i think it's well it's 14 minutes before Four, the first, uh, four like formal line of dialogue yeah yeah so it's like you know fucking 15 minutes let's say and the music is what carries those moments more than anything oh yeah you know and that's a real hard thing to do so in the johnny greenwood who's from honestly my favorite band probably radiohead is the composer of the this film. Is first this is his first uh composition for a film I just wonder how he does it, honestly, because you're like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Does apparently, he just play guitar or something? Apparently, I listened to an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson last night uh, talking about it, and they actually bring that up. And he's like, well, he's like been tinkering with tones and and doing orchestrated pieces for a while. And uh, so, and they were, I think they're friends in some degree. So some yeah. they knew of each other, and Paul Thomas Anderson heard a lot of his just work that he would do tinkering. Well, he's he's friends with probably the whole band because he did Anima. Well, I think the, the with Tom York. Yeah, I think the relationship starts with this with like Greenwood. The, yeah, them him probably ingratiating himself to the rest of them. You know, what what do you think is your favorite overarching theme in this? That struck me at this time I watched it. Um, I think that you know I sent you that video, or one of the videos I sent you. I do think it is like the interesting themes about family and what family actually means and what it mm -hmm. means to be part of humanity it's not just right. like literal family it's like this broader thing because daniel day lewis's character uh, daniel plainview is a little bit of a he's a nihilist and he does mm -hmm. not like humanity you know one of the famous scenes of the movie is like he's like you know i see people and all i see is the worst and all i want to do is make enough money so i can fuck off but then yeah. at the same time he doesn't really want to fuck off because he keeps an attachment. He'll keep uh, an assistant. Somebody he can he can tell what to do, you know? And that's what makes the whole stuff with HW when you really watch the movie, it really it's really intense. It's like heartbreaking what happens to him in HW because I think clearly that is his connection to humanity. He loves yeah. HW. And he, well, that's the thing is I I mean there is love there. There is a love for H between the two of them, I would definitely yes. say, yeah, like he really does, but he's such a a fucking asshole. <laughs> like when when H W, you know, he gets a overpressure, overpressurized air pocket from the oil well comes up and blows him off the thing and rupture, obviously ruptures his eardrums or irreparably mm -hmm. damages his hearing. And I always kind of view that as is that. Daniel kind of saying, well, maybe like, cause up to that point, HW was always shown in a positive light. HW was always shown in this sense of being the good son, you know, always had kind of like good moral integrity, good moral fiber, as I like to say. Um, and this is the first time you ever see him damaged, like damaged in a sense of now Daniel doesn't even really view him as a person in a sense or his son as much like there's a damage that's been done. You know what I mean? Do you get what I'm trying to say? 
Yeah, I do. I do because well, because you know, on a on just a superficial level, HW is now no longer useful to him as a salesman, right? But at the same time, but what is what one of the things that Daniel does? He's always uh, he's he is also a salesman. He's he's a con man to a certain degree, and he kind of if you think about the idea that HW is not his son, he's conned this kid into loving him, and and once but once he can't use his voice anymore. Once he once HW can't hear him anymore, HW becomes disillusioned with him, and Which, he sees Daniel Day Lewis for what he is because now he's just a man of pure action, and he sees HW literally sees his father choosing his business and 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 greed and and the company over his son, and then they have that you know when he when he when he sends him away to the boarding school and they're on the train, I mean that's like the last time you see like the human plain view because he's sad he feels that's why the whole scene with eli during the baptism where like you know he's it's a really interesting scene because there are playful moments when daniel day lewis like oh the spirit like you know but whenever but when he keeps saying the thing about his son yeah he's fucking mad and that is also echoed in other things because it's daniel plain view's only failure is that he couldn't be a father so when it's pointed out to him, like there's uh, the other oil company that wants to buy up all his land. Yep. And he mentions, you know, you got to. Hilford gonna, or some shit. Yeah. What are you going <laughs> to do about taking care of your son? He's like, you don't tell me how to raise my family. My favorite part in the whole movie right here. So <laughs> yeah. well, you. So I made a deal with Union Oil. Like, yeah. That's like one of the guys. Like he's like, you look like a fool, don't you? And you're like, because that's yes, all he. I do. <laughs> and that's because there's also this theme of subjugation, and where Daniel sees himself in the hierarchy. That's why he and Eli are these weird mirror images of each other, because they both want the same thing, which is control. They want to be on top of a pile of a pyramid, right? So Eli wants to do it through spirituality. Daniel wants to do it through secularism. Daniel has set himself as God. He is God, even when he blesses the well, which is another fantastic scene. Eli comes up, tries to get Daniel to basically cede authority to Eli, and Daniel maybe just like, nope, and then blesses it, but he blesses it. Daniel yeah. blesses it. He doesn't even really invoke God. He, he, he invokes the secular thing, because I think that is one of the, the subtextual themes of the movie is secularism versus faith. And how they're both are kind of can be subject to the same flaws and the conship of the people that are involved in those. Well, and it comes down to I think that video, one of the videos you sent me talked about how the power, only power Daniel really has is his voice or his or, yeah. or his oratorship. Yeah, you know, he's able to really lure people in, and I think that's actually an a fantastic uh, um, view of the relationship between the son and uh daniel hw and daniel but that the thing that really is getting me and i think why these movies really strike with a lot of people there's a lot of people have troubled relationship with faith with their parents or or, or their father sure and like so they're like ad astra that's why you love it dude you know i just i know well, why you love this movie it, you know but just it feels like a, it's a very <laughs> personal movie like i understand yeah. the archetype or even and I can see it in my own life in the microcosm way. Obviously, it doesn't in a big way. I think There Will Be Blood has things like that as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, but just getting – I think it's really interesting because if you look at Daniel as the, the narrator of the story, which is he doesn't narrate much, but in the sense of 
he is everything is propelled by his voice every action there is nothing that does not happen without his his words involved yeah the only person who may question him and and i think in the entire movie there's two people that fuck with daniel Plainview in a sense of where he doesn't really have control of the situation uh when the, i can't remember the tw other twins not paul it's the other one is it paul is the uh, first twin i think paul is the one that sells him the information yeah, about the that's wine. that's the time when you see like he really doesn't have control his oh, voice no, doesn't oh, work yes he does no but it does no no hold on hold on his voice doesn't work on Paul because Paul knows Eli and he's lived he's grew up with a brother that had this you know he could see through it oh yeah he could see through that bullshit because he that's that's what I'm saying yeah he forces Daniel to level with him basically right exactly he's like hey man like you know we'll but, do it I mean but at the end of that exchange he grabs him by the hand and he said if you're lying to me I'm gonna take a lot more back than my money is that okay with you <laughs> yeah yeah but that that's I'm not but he actually Paul dealt with him in a moment where Daniel kind of lost because Daniel's trying to do to get him out of it, you know. Well, Eli does. Eli does. One. Eli does the same thing. When when he's, when he's negotiating to buy the land from the father, Eli right. is the one that interjects, and Eli knows mm -hmm. kind of what Paul knows, and uh, he makes Daniel deal with him, and then Daniel has to buy it for oil prices, not quail prices, right? He's yeah. Like, well, I'm not going to give them oil prices. Yeah. Give them quail prices. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a great. So many good lines in this movie. So well written, but uh, I think it's really about Paul is able to Paul. I guess there's a line in the movie that maybe this may be stretching it a little bit too much, but there is a part where the imposter brother comes in and they're they're having a discussion. Yeah, and he Henry. Goes, you know, yeah, H Henry. Yeah. And they start talking about, you know, well, all his failures and all the things that he's done. He's like so sick of failing. He just wants to be somewhat successful, yada, yada, yada. And he goes. Well, if it's in you, if it's in me, then it's in you, too, because of the blood relation. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the sense that Paul, because you learn later in the movie that Paul ends up being somewhat successful. Yeah. You know, but he's not a monster. He hasn't gone as big as Daniel Plainview or his brother as far as like as far as we know, you know. But I think that really shows that he had the ability to uh fight daniel in that sense and they all the only other time that i can see it is when after henry is murdered by daniel in the woods that night when he when he basically realizes he's not his brother and uh bundy shows up the next morning and he's like i don't want money i want you to absolve your yourself of this sin yeah yeah and you just see in that face of daniel just being like well because he's yeah cause he with his hand up blocking the sun and he's just like fuck well, because he tries to offer him more money. He's like, I'll give you 5000 No, like, no, he's like $10,000. Yeah. Anything not to have to bend the knee to Eli, basically. Yeah, yeah. or God. Because, uh, you know, Eli is his, 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 uh, his bizarro version of him. He's just the opposite side of this coin. And they do a lot of, the, and they do the same thing with, with, uh, with Henry as well. Where the, so, a lot of times they'll cut from Daniel in the light or being in focus and then cut to a reverse shot or a sh another shot of Eli in the shadows or Henry is in the shadow. Like remember the scene when they're on the beach, Henry and uh, Daniel. Yeah. So what there is Daniel's in the sun. Henry's in the shadow. Cause Henry is another character kind of like Eli where it's, he's the exact opposite of Daniel. He Henry is defined by his failures. Mm-hmm. Henry's not the kind of man that Daniel is. Daniel defines himself by successes. That's why 
uh, I think the whole thing with HW is so devastating to him and he has to like double down on this other thing. And then obviously when the revelation of Henry not really being his brother and he kills him, mm. um, it even further just kind of makes him double down on this idea that like, fuck humanity. I'm, I'm alone. I will do this by myself. I don't need anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'm <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm saying. No, uh, I I, think well, I just want to I just want to point out the guy who plays Henry, Kevin J. O'Connor, great from the mummy. From the mummy, he's Benny. Yes. Great, yeah. great character actor. He's like a, I always get I'm pleasantly surprised when he shows up in a movie. Probably because I saw the mummy when I was a kid. He was he's in the master as well. I think. You might I'm have pretty a bit, sure. You might have a yeah. Bit he, here's that. a small part when he's in the street and he's like talking to Joaquin Phoenix and Joaquin Phoenix like beats the fuck out of him or something. Yeah. Like he beats him up for no reason. Yeah, Bill um, William, Bill William and the Master. Yeah, okay. Though so there we go. Um, it's it's a fantastic movie, and I don't really know if there's anything in it that I can. I know you, you. We've said before. I've heard you say before to me that you don't think Daniel Day Lewis is, like you know, it's Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, but I don't. Movie. I just don't think that's a problem. No, I'm not saying it is a problem, but the yeah, man, dude, the way he walks, especially yeah. at the end with his back over arched and he's just like walk, like duck walking, and he's just like, well, that I'm was, the third revelation. I, I wish, I, <laughs> I wish they had done more to actually age him up a little bit because the aging part of it is this physical thing where he's like becoming the personification of this ghoul that he's becoming. Um, and they mean. and it's all through the physicality. I wish they threw a little pepper in there or something. Well, I mean, how much? There. I mean, how old was he? Well, it, it takes 50s? that place because there's a huge time jump at the at, in the. The movie the begins of, in 1898. Yeah, but th- I'm saying from the, the from the time jump at the end of the second act into the third act is like a uh, 16 years or something like 17 years. He's probably in his 50s at least, huh? Or older. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, not, I'm, this is a small. Nip. I know. I mean, but people do, aged I, really differently back then. You know, he was probably 27. I do think know. there is there is something about which I you know, and in, in general, I don't have a problem. With it. I like it. I do think there is something a little bit lost in not seeing how he becomes fucking <laughs> Charles Foster Kane and Xanadu <laughs> uh, in his castle. There's a tons of uh, actually just echoes and allusions to citizen Kane in this movie as well. Cause it's kind of about a similar character. Um, but even just like the stuff about being in your giant castle alone, like when he's at the end of the movie felt very citizen Kane. Yeah, uh, no, I can see the, the because connection. it's, it's set up all these themes. It's set up all of the pieces that you need to, to understand the story. And basically that final converse, that conflict between HW and the conflict between H uh, Eli at the end is the full circle of those of those themes. Everything is kind of driven home. You know, he finally casts off HW. Like he I resents I resent him. And then there's more of this there's also another kind of inference about uh you know, because the they echo that thing you said before where there is none of you in me. And he feels the same way about yeah. Henry. Because he says that to Henry, he's like, Well, if we're related, then you have this in you. You can yeah. I can accomplish it, so can you. And then when he reveals to H.W. that he's an orphan, he's just like, there's none of me in you. And the kid says to him specifically, he invokes the name of God. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, 
you know, I thank God every day. Or I thank God that there's none of you in me because that yeah. would be myself. Yeah. So this, you know, and then that's definitely the final let go of his humanity. He's like totally just a beast. And when he's, oh, dude, it's so heartbreaking when he's going downstairs to the bowling alley and it flashes back to that like just beautiful little moment between him and HW when he was a kid. Like when they're running around, he yeah, when they're playing and he grabs his hat. Yeah. 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 And it's really sad. <laughs> it's and he's just, and he's like slide sliding down the stairs into the descent into madness. I guess you could say he's a creature now. He's going into his fucking cave. Yeah. Oh my god! But it is literally. <laughs> I love it. I don't know what it is about the 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 fall of a man that is so compelling to watch. But anytime you see Daniel Plainview through the progression of his movie, I mean, in the beginning you go from the I mean, you just think about the beginning, the very beginning of the fucking movie when he when he falls, right? He falls uh, and the well, yeah. sna- snaps his leg. Um, and he, he falls into there, and, and he's got to crawl. And I just remember that pan up. So you just see the pan up, mm-hmm. and it's just like, you know, miles of no- like nothing. You know, you're probably, he's probably 30 miles, 40 miles, or something. Cra- but I don't know, but far. I mean, you he has to drag himself a- by the elbows through the yeah. Day. Yeah, and you're you can like, make a whole movie based on just that. Yeah, I that saw it. It's called, the, it's called the Revenant. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, a ten minute walk turned yeah. into a five year journey. <laughs> but the uh, that is probably. I mean, I can't imagine the the pain and turmoil and the or whatever. Because what kind of man was he before? Was he always this way? Is that is that the beginning of his? I've, why? I've, like, what is the importance and significance of showing? That particular, like, so if, if he, when, when PTA is writing this out and he goes, okay, like I want him to get injured and then, ha- and then just show nothing, you know, you don't really see what happens, but you know, he had to go through hell to get where he went. So I'm like, what was the significance of that for, as a, as a theme or an arc? And how does that connect to the rest of the movie? Because it's, it's a character statement. Like he is so, he has, his perseverance, strength. Nothing will deter Daniel from getting what he wants. Exactly. Even yeah. He has to drag himself across a fucking rocky mountain yeah. landscape. And also another little weird nod, uh, other film nod, and it happens right around this time. It happens in the beginning of the movie. The movie's opening shot and music cue is almost identical to 2001: A Space Odyssey when it when it fades into the hills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's and that like like that sonic noise. Yeah. That's almost the same as 2001. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Because 2001, if you remember that that part, and th- that sound cue comes back a few times in the movie, almost like every at every next evolution of Daniel's uh, progress as a as a capitalist or a, as a businessman, and I think it's supposed to. I think if I were to guess, I would say it would be because 2001 is actually about self actualization and about the evolution of technology and where, how that is going to lead mankind to its like higher purpose or whatever. And I think this movie, in, yeah, <laughs> I think this movie in a weird way is like a microcosm of that. Just in one person's life, you're getting to see the same type of things and how uh, basically secular drive is going to lead us to becoming gods or something. <laughs> Shit, That's yeah, pretty hardcore, dude. Or are we already gods? I went Maybe deep into the a, paint on this one. Into a simulation. Uh, well, I. I that perseverance that Daniel, I mean, Daniel has to have perseverance throughout this film. 
Uh, yeah, whether he's good or bad, it doesn't matter. Good, right? yeah, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, you got to have some sort of insane amount of drive to take over and fight because you know he's the little guy. You know he is the little guy because Union Oil and yeah. uh, Standard and all these other like companies are coming in trying to fucking like, hey dude, we'll give you a million dollars to fuck off. Which in nineteen eleven or fifteen, whenever this that, that period. He's fucking probably comparable to what I don't know, like a hundred million dollars today. Yeah, he would say. never have to do anything ever again. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So like, so he goes, and he doesn't even. It's not even the fact that he doesn't want the money. He just doesn't want them to win. It's not even about the money for him. He's yeah, like, I just don't want you to beat me because he has a competition inside of him, and he does not want to see anyone else succeed. That's how he feels. And like you said, him being the little man. I mean, when he's talking to those uh, those oil guys, you know, and he's like, "Well, you got to change shipping prices." Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, you, oh, you, dude, you he's own Alex the Jones. railroad." Yeah, he's Alex Jones. <laughs> well, because they do, they own everything. So he's like, "I'm just going to have," but a- not the but not the boats. That was the whole thing, right? Yes. With Union yeah. Oil, because they own the boats or whatever. Yeah. So what he's going to do though, he's just going to make a parallel industry, and yeah. see who comes out on top. He's just like, well, I don't know what will happen. And the oceans, but the kicker, but the kicker is not just that. It's the fact that the guy insulted him by telling him how to raise his family. That's actually what bothers him. Well, do you know what? Do you know what I realized watching it? Because I don't think I ever thought had this thought when I was watching that scene. uh, When he's like, you know, well, well, what do you, what do you, what do you expect me to do after? Because he basically is like, well, what am I going to do if I'm rich? What is there left without you know? I need to do something. I need to do this. Yeah. That's what Daniel's saying to him. And he goes, well, I don't know, like maybe take care of your son and raise him. And I just feel like that is exactly what Daniel would have said. Daniel would have said something very similar to somebody. Daniel would have, Daniel oh, would have. To, to manipulate somebody out of their. Well, cause he, do, he does it to the entire fucking every town. I've traveled across half our state to be here tonight, which is an amazing. Just saying. Of course. Line. Yeah. That's, um, his, that's his stump speech, man. This and is it, my son, H.W. And, but, like, you know, he goes, he goes, bread. Like, he just, he's talking well, about food and grain. And well, the, because he's, he's, you know, when he says, he literally says, we provide infrastructure, we do this. He's selling you them in a, a dream. He's selling them a promise. He's not selling them fame and riches. He's selling survival in the same way that Eli does, except yeah. he's the secular version. He is industry. He's yeah. industrialization. And then you could, and that's why Eli is kind of, that's why Eli kind of hates him so much because he's a secular God to these people mm-hmm. now because he's going to give them everything. He's like the devil. He's going to come in and give you everything, but it's just going to, it's going to cost your soul. Did, did you know Paul Dano um, was only supposed to play Paul in the beginning? Yes. You, I'm sure you've read that right. And he only had four days to prepare to play Eli. They, like, yeah, I feel bad for him because I think it kind of shows a little bit. But uh, I don't. I don't. I think he does a fantastic job in it. I think the performance has grown on me over the years uh, because I think it is more appropriate, actually, for him to be that way in juxtaposition, like thematically, what they're supposed to be um, in in juxtaposition to each other, Daniel Plainview and Eli. Um, but it, like I remember the first time I watched it, it's just like Paul Dano is not bad. But like he's standing next to Daniel Day Lewis, like giving the performance of his career. Anybody would look bad, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I, like, what, we go back to his, like say somebody like uh like uh Henry. I never yeah. had one thought in my head. Well, that's bad. Right. I, 
I but but I think the tryhard nature of the performance almost in a in a meta way works. That's makes, what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It's like it really shows how uncomfortable Eli is in this situation because yeah. of how uncomfortable Paul Dano is because he's being challenged in some sort of you know artistic way and Eli is being challenged in some sort of you know uh, secular god versus yeah, faith sure. god. That's you know? fair. Yeah, that's a fair point. So I I, I just I, I always liked his performance because just that scene where they're in their old church it's like the first time and he's like sucking the old lady's fingers and shit like that we we're gonna suck the devil out of you and shit. yeah you know and do you know what actually something I, I really wanted to like even hint on is the lack like D- daniel is not human in the sense of he doesn't have any sexual perversions he doesn't he doesn't like is never anything is ever sexual with you know like so it's oh, so yeah. weird you to think because that is another duality between him and Henry because Henry wants to go out and get liquored up and you know fuck yeah. chicks and shit. No, he's completely just ambition. He's pure ambition. He, I I was thinking about it the way to put it. He is like the personification of manifest destiny. I will go west. I will achieve. It is my destiny to do so. Like, this is my destiny. Nothing gets in my way. Everything is a distraction to him. Yeah. That's why he fucking can't stand anybody. Because they're just getting in the way of his success. Mm-hmm. That's all they are. They're just, they're just roadblocks. They're just obstacles. They're not... I, wonder, I, I wonder if that's changed much in modern culture as far as, like, you know, get out of my fucking way. Maybe that's a problem. Because I mean, I don't know. Because it, it is a, a capitalist versus... Uh, or like rich class versus poor class mentality, I guess you could say. Sure, you're seeing because there is a classist divide that's very present in the movie, and he—that's how, how he has his sway over people. And some people are immune yes. to it. Like so, when you got that bandy guy, the bandy guy didn't care about the money. Mm-hmm. Nah, he, he wants your spirit. He wants your soul. Like, like so. What I mean is like having all this money and success and all these things on a human level like doesn't matter to some people. Some people just never respect you because of that. And that bothers Daniel. <laughs> and then, uh, but then, you know, what's the ultimate moral lesson at the end of the movie? It's like, yeah, you can have all these things and you're just gonna be unhappy. You know, it's not going to bring you happiness. It's not going to bring you closure in your life. It's not going to fill that hole. Well, would you, would you say that Daniel Plainview has some sort of uh, Midas touch? You know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, I don't know if I would say Midas touch. I mean, because well, we see him fail. Say, we it... see him fail. We see him fail. We see him fail a few times. We see him the first time he's pitching to that town, and they all get all up in arms, which is another character moment to and inform then, you about his character. And then he, he just then he walks goes away. And, no, but then he goes and buys it from the people that he goes and yeah. buys it. Yeah, but what he says is like, I'm not going to fucking. Li- I don't actually care about your concerns. I'm not going to listen to you. Yeah, I've made you an offer. And I feel it's a good offer. You don't like it? Fuck off. So what he does is he goes and just buys it from the people willing to and says, fuck the town. Yeah, but like yeah. that's just, uh, but that's my point is he has this Midas touch in the sense of he will get what he wants. And that ambition is the touch. That's the Midas touch. If you don't know what Midas touch is, everything he touched turned to gold. And that's like something. Did he wish for that? Who gave him that? Bestowed him that power? I can't remember. But. Yeah, it's like a, it was a wish. A yeah. wish, right? You know, you could touch it. And, and then he his turns whole his life. family into gold. Yeah. 
Can't even get, can't even fucking get laid now. Oh, cause... I'm so tired. I need to get on my horse. Turns yeah. to gold. Gold yeah. horse ain't going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I need to drink some water. Turns to gold. Can't drink water. There was also that, that, uh, what was that old book? Who wrote, oh, this is a little sidestep. I'm just curious though. The fucking old school writer, Raul Dahl wrote the chocolate boy or whatever the guy that like oh, everything the, cho- he... the chocolate factory no 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 it was ch- the chocolate boy basically everything he ate turned to chocolate oh damn in these in these political times you were running around saying chocolate boy <laughs> jesus christ sorry everybody come here jerry and takes a bite out of the kid's arm fucking fucked up um they do taste better uh there's this is definitely one of those okay 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 let's get back on track um I have a huge love for this film. I don't. I think the cinematography is great. I think oh, everything. Yeah. I th- I think the cinematography really speaks for itself, especially when the oil rig is on fire, and well, you're just sitting there. Oh my God. Which is which is actually an interesting thing because that is really shown. That is, I guess, uh, he's in hell or something. He's entered a new. That is would be I would say that's the beginning of the second act. Would you when when yes. HW gets injured? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of like he's, and that's that image, that image of him bending over, and like his face is covered in oil. Also, the first one of the first time he really chooses that over his son because his son yeah. is obviously very hurt and he's just sitting there watching the fire. Now, because uh, his assistant goes, uh, "Where's HW? Uh, he's down no. at the whatever," and then they go. He goes, okay. is he all right? And he goes, no, he nope. is. Yeah. No. Actually, I want to give a shout out to that actor, Syrian Hines. Even though he doesn't have a huge part, uh, he plays off so well against Daniel Plainview. And like, that's just, that is the kind of actors you want. Like somebody that is just committed to making the piece work. Because yeah, that's like being in about, a, like being well, it's in not a about how It's not about how big the part is. It's about how... You yeah. use that part, no matter how small and, it is. And you know what okay, I'm saying? And he's okay not to be flashy. That's like my analogy would be to when I was in a band. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, one of my things I would always say, and I, I other people have said this is just like serve the song. What is the best thing for the song? Yeah, I, what if it's not good if you do a solo? What if it's not good if you do this? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what if it's not good? What what if I should shut up for a second? You know, let the mm-hmm. song breathe. Uh, so actors like that is it's awesome and. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is always great at casting guys like that. Uh, but back to the cin- cinematography, this actually won the Academy Award for Best Cinematography in 2008, Robert Elswit. Uh, and a lot of credit to them because this movie is a movie full of like really long takes. And what they did is they almost do a form of editing within the takes because they always have a, uh, it's called a collapsing form. Mm. So you'll have one shot and it'll go on for like seven or eight minutes. But the camera will slowly move to different positions as if you had cut instead of cutting to the position. Mm-hmm. So it just lets the whole thing have a life. So it's not like a static so, image that you're watching. You're not just like watching it, a static image. Is, is this the scene where there's all, uh, tons of, all over the well, one of, well, I'm just saying like one of the biggest ones that stand out to me is the scene where Eli walks down to talk to Daniel and then he like sticks his face in the mud. That's ba- I think that's, that's pretty shot. much all one shot. I'm yeah, sure. It is because it just tracks shot. them and then it like z- comes close. And well, then good, it just, a good yeah, example, at least I remember a good example. And this is just a short. It's like a two two position shot when they're going to bless the well. The shot starts on the banister, the banister. 
Is that, what, is that what you say? Is that what it's called? The banister? Sure. The railing. Yeah. It starts on the railing. The railing. And you see Daniel's hand. It's focused on Daniel's hand. Daniel moves his hand off and walks down the stairs to meet the crowd. And then the camera just suddenly just shifts and comes down to them. Like, and there's the movie's full of shots like that, full of cool little moments. Also, uh, the editing in the movie, just in general, is incredible. And because, uh, like I said, there's a lot of long takes, and which is very unusual for a modern movie. Most movies cut every three seconds or so. This movie has an average of like 13 seconds between a cut. Wow. That's the that's the average for the movie. And the guy lost to the fucking modern day erratic editing of the Bourne Ultimatum, which is a movie that cuts like every second. Literally every second or two. Um, yeah. And this movie also lost lost Best Picture and Best Director uh, to No Country for Old Men and yeah, the Coen Brothers. Yeah, that's a great film, too. So I, No, it is. It is. But I a great think, film. I think 100 years from now, what movie is going to be talked about is probably There, there Will Be, be blood. blood. Not to say no, that's not taking anything away from No Country for Old Men. I think that's an amazing that's, film. That's a toss-up. You could have get. You could have went either way on that one. <sighs> Like I mean, I, I, really I gotta watch the no country for. I gotta watch yeah. it again. Maybe we should do that too, because that's a fantastic film. But oh man, it's such a good movie, though, man. It's such the guy that plays uh, what's his name plays the main bad guy in it. I can't remember his fucking name right now. He also is in Skyfall or whatever. Um, oh, Javier Bardem. Ah, oh, fuck. He's so good in that fucking movie, man. Everybody's He's, Scott or Brolin's really good in it too. Everyone's good in it. Denzel Washington. Oh, never mind. It's American Gangster, but. Um, <laughs> I still love that movie. Uh, no, but there's there's Ridley Scott. Shout out. I am surprised that only Daniel Day Lewis won because Daniel Day Lewis won for the best uh, actor, right? Yeah, he won. He, him and the cinematographer won. So won two. Well, of I mean, two out of four, fifty percent. I do the the idea that Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't win best screenplay, doesn't win best director. Yeah, is crime. It's well, how has he ever won? No, he's always been. I think what? he's been nominated for everything, and he's never won. You're telling me the master? No. Now listen, I will be honest and say the master is. I like the master more than I yeah, like Devil's Blood. That's your favorite PTA, isn't it? That's one of my favorite movies. That's probably my favorite movie. Period. It yeah. is my favorite movie. Um, and <laughs> how? But like, no, I just, I can't believe that, dude. I can't, I can't yeah. say how, how the fuck can PTA from Punch Strike Love? How could that not won best best comedy? Why could I have not won oh, best comedy? Oh, at the, uh, at the, not at the Oscars. That's the other one. The Emmys. What? what are you talking when, about? when they do categories like best musical and comedy. They don't do that shit at the Oscars. No, they just do best it's picture. Like, Shut your front! No, that's they not- almost they almost started a new category called best popular movie because people were mad that Marvel movies didn't get nominated, and the woke people came after the Academy, and they were like, "Oh, we'll, we'll oh, we'll just make a Marvel category, basically." Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Thank God it didn't happen. But I'm so sick of this shit. Like, cause this movie, this movie would be criticized for not having enough diversity in it or something if it was made today. And it's just go and it's it's like should we this movie is a historical snapshot of that era that region does of a its woman, time. Does a woman even have a speaking role in this other than Mary at the very end and you can't hear her? Honestly, dude. There, <laughs> no, yes, there is the prostitute. 
she talks a little bit, I think. Oh, you hear her background. Yeah. Hey, man. Hey, he gave her something. Hey, I did it. He did it. Hey, he made Phantom Thread. That's like one of the most feminist movies I've ever fucking seen. So makes me sick, (laughs) but I love it. I do love it. Get back to making movies about guys, PTA. (laughs) I'm talking There Will Be Blood. The Master. I'm talking Boogie Nights about a guy with a big dick in a big dream. (laughs) It's it's an amazing film, man. I just don't think there's anything else like it in a sense of people aren't pushing those bounds. They're not making films anymore. A lot of people aren't making these things, like a film. The scale. That's what I mean about, like, it's like David Fincher, Paul Thomas Anderson... And who else? I mean, I guess you could put Tarantino in that in that grouping. Although I think Tarantino's a little more shallow. Nolan. 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 Yeah, but but no, that's the intention of like no uh Tarantino is shallow by choice in the sense of he yeah, likes the gritty, fun action well, shit. He's just but he just likes to reference other movies. <laughs> like so that's Yeah, I mean a lot of it. Although he's just a great he's got he's good dialogue. Pop culture. He's pop culture. You know, he that is, is but not in a bad way. There. He's the, yeah. ma- the master of that, right? Yeah. He's definitely. He's like what J.J. Abrams wishes he could be. Fucking, you know, dude. Like there was hope with Star Trek, okay? When they re- rebooted Star Trek, there was hope. And then you went and made fucking Star Wars. Well, let oh, me ask. Shit. I would, you know, if you like this movie a lot and you want to have a movie that is like immersive on the same level, it's a little slower. And I know you haven't seen it. Uh, it's Barry Lyndon. Those Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Barry Lyndon. It's Dude, got the same. I've seen it, like I, every time I, I've always wanted to watch it, but it's like, uh, you know, and I know I'll like it because I like will. Kubrick. I a, like Kubrick. It's a, a lot. It's a costume drama kind of thing about people of a certain era. Wasn't it filmed in all natural light as well? Yes. All yep. candle lit and natural light. That's yep. really cool. Uh, yes, it's Kubrick, just the master of form. But that story is a lot of layers and. And Barry Lyndon, if you were willing to see them, just like with every Kubrick movie, you know? And I think, like I said earlier, I think uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is the only person right now that works on that same level. And maybe not even as deep of the same level, because you don't fuck with Kubrick, dude. No, well, I Kubrick mean, was... A, he was, he was Daniel crazy. Plainview. He's Daniel he, Plainview. Well, he's also like a savant. Like, crazy. Dude, uh-uh. so... Listen, oh, come on. I was, I was, if you go back to referring back to the episode I did with uh, my friend Paul about The Shining, Paul watched the movie with subtitles. Did you hear? Did you watch? The, you I, I, I didn't hear the subtitle part. I remember that. So he did watch. watch the movie with subtitles. He caught a stray line of Jack Nicholson in the maze mumbling something about going, like singing a song, mumbling words. And on the subtitles, the words are there. So he could see what it was. What was he, it? Like, he like Googled them and found a connection to what to another part of the movie what like what is it i can't remember exactly oh al jolson he did the song like going out to california and then he found out that al jolson like made blackface popular and then he had worked with the guy that stanley kubrick ended the movie with the song that that ends the movie the shining he was a collaborator with that dude so even on that level dan that was there and Paul, that's the yeah. random shit Paul just like fucking saw. He just looked into it. He's like, holy shit, there is actually like a weird connection here. That's how <laughs> crazy Kubrick is. But I think Paul Thomas Anderson, I don't think, I don't know if he works quite on that level. I mean, we got to give him well, I mean, we, years we, of yeah, researching his movies. Exactly. Like but, we uh, haven't, and 
But like, wasn't Kubrick known to be like basically meticulous? Uh, a, he was known as a slave driver too. So like, he was fucking. I don't know if he was a slave driver, but he was. Just You've seen get... the documentary about his fucking assistant? Are you he... kidding oh, me? Oh yeah, yes, yes. Fucked, fucked him. That guy actually is uh, one of the co-stars of Barry Lyndon, and that's how they met. And then he kind of stopped being an actor after that to go. Dude, fucked him. Film worker. No, like you want to talk about uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick is Daniel Plainview. If you really want to get all like full circle, like dude, get a family that loved him and kids and a rich person. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, but the way he treated them, the way he. I've seen things. No, but I, I honestly his. His work is amazing, and I think I don't know. I think they're different. They're different loves of film. There's different uh, uh, how they both approach the film oh, making process. You no, know, I'm just I, saying about the, the the depth of the depth of the thing is similar. How like, long do you think it took shallow. Stanley Kubrick to? How long do you think it took Stanley Kubrick to write a film? To like write it and like Seriously. get ready to, to actually let, let's say like to like he's got a done screenplay. This is pretty much what it's going to be. Probably well, a couple take, years. He would take years researching something before he even did That's anything. what I'm saying. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson is very similar in that effect there. He does a lot of research. Um, but from what I just read about Kubrick is that, I mean, it, it was all down to, like, he had ideas about, you know, in The Shining, I guess there's something to do with, like, the Native American mm-hmm. coffee cans. And, yeah. yeah, he, like, I guess that is... Uh, definitely savant, autistic, maybe you know some sort well, of autistic he's making savant. He's he's implanting things in your brain on a subconscious level that you don't even realize you're experiencing. That's how you know he worked with the CIA, bro. That's, <laughs> That's how, how you, you know fucking he was, uh, know. Well, he was apparently really into. Uh, he started as a photographer, so he knew yep. a little bit about marketing. And what is yep. marketing? Is manipulation, manipulating people by just an image. So he's into kind of subliminal images and subtext and that's was his big thing i mean that's his entire career wasn't he, wasn't he like 16 when he got published in like the new york times or yeah. like a big yeah. newspaper I don't, th- I don't even think he finished high school fucking awesome yeah he's one of those just dudes. like just like just like uh tim pool <laughs> just, like, tim pool just, starts just like tim pool pretty much the same guy <laughs> uh no back to pta i don't want to make this a, i mean we could talk about kubrick for hours but i mean i know but i, I don't want to disrespect pta Put, yeah, put some spec on. Well, no, I, I, mean, I think is, I gave him the greatest compliment. If I'm comparing him to Stanley Kubrick, that's pretty high honors coming from Dubox. Listen, no one, no one is making films today that is at least like you know what Christopher Nolan, man, like is not even on the same level. No, of filmmaking to me, I love Christopher Nolan's Good. films. They're great. But when you watch Paul Thomas Anderson, like you're going into a, a legitimate, fleshed out world. Like it's a world. It feels yes. lived in. It feels like real experiences. Well, like when I go watch Inception, it's like, yeah, it's a great film. I have fun watching it. This is good. It's a good story. A couple plot holes. You know, we can all fucking argue about that. But um, PTA, like going to watch the Phantom Thread. Why the fuck would I ever want to watch a movie about a seamstress? That's a dude who is kind of like a misogynistic press prick in a sense or what? Like, why would I want to watch this film? Oh, it's because the way he grounds it in characters and then he, the meticulous attention to detail with the world that those people inhabit is just inherently interesting. Right. If you're a curious yeah. person, uh, Christopher Nolan, what makes Christopher Nolan gate, oh, excuse me, great in compare, like juxtaposed to Paul Thomas Anderson. Christopher Nolan is like a technician. He's, he's like great, a guy that's original. Doing, and his he's, stuff is original. No, but he's a technician. What makes it cool, what makes it interesting is the 
the tricks, the narrative and filmmaking tricks are what makes it's not the characters. The stories usually the concept of the stories are very intriguing, awesome. right? They're cool. Yeah. But whenever he tries when he tries to get emotional, it doesn't always land. You know, watch something like Interstellar. I think on a, on some level like I do just as a as a dad, like I get where his character's coming from, but it's not it's the most interesting thing about that movie. It's like the just the way the movie's made that is actually the most interesting. It's not like the human drama is the least interesting part of a lot of Nolan movies. Same thing with Batman. Mm. I mean, those characters are so flat. They're so flat. Or, or even Inception, where like, yeah, you know just, what I mean? They're one note. They're archetypes. They're there to yeah. serve plot function. A purpose. Yeah. yeah. And where, you don't feel that watching a PTA movie. No, no, because they the characters Well, maybe Magnolia. The, I could argue Magnolia. Yeah, I would say that's probably pretty close. Closer to Nolan, in a certain sense. But, um... No, because the, the characters are the story. The journey is the story. It's not about the plot. This doesn't need to be about a fucking oil tycoon. It could be about anything. could be about a All mechanic. That shit, that shit is literally like just dressing. It's just dressing. Well, you could take that. You could take this story and do a story about a family-run mechanic business or somebody starting their thing in Detroit in the 70s. Or yeah, like you know what I'm saying, and you yeah. can tell almost literally the same story because it's about the characters. And I think I, I guess that's what's really great, and maybe that's where how what Paul Thomas Anderson recognized about filmmaking is it's it is it's always going to be about the 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 char- like Citizen Kane or uh, what was that movie? I know you just watched it the other day, the Emperor one or whatever. Was it Macbeth? You just watched. Oh yeah, I watched Macbeth on Orson's. You know, well, I guess like Shakespeare in like a it's the characters that why people remember those stories so much. It's the human experience. Like we want to learn something about human nature because they're universal. That's why you can go back and read old philosophy books, and it's still relevant. Once you hit on something about human nature, it tends to extend across time, and I think good filmmaking uh, does that. Good art does that. That's yeah. how it affects you. It moves you as a human being. You learn something about yourself and about other people. That's why it's so frustrating. That whole thing with Martin Scorsese getting lambasted because he wouldn't didn't think Marvel movies were films. My, like the oh stupid God. semantic debate with these fucking gross film fans. You're just well, like you're, fil- no, they're they're not even film fans. It's like the the fucking pop lovers. culture movie, movie critics. Well, like the movie critics, because right, right, what we're seeing today, and which is which is kind of unfortunate in a sense, but also very probably good for a cinema as well. Um, the success of these films will lead to other films being able to be made, and that that's the truth. You know, like you got a guy that was a production assistant or uh, assistant cinematographer on that. You know what I mean? Like it might lead. Like, oh man, you were the assistant cinematographer. Okay, we'll give you ten million to do like a movie and try something out. Or oh, for sure. But you know what, connections also, and stuff. That's also kind of part of the gross part of the the current Hollywood system. The trends is that they scoop these dudes up, mm-hmm. these interesting young filmmakers, and they may put them in a fucking grinder and say, make a Marvel movie. Yeah. Or then, then go make a Jurassic Park movie. Go be on a Star Wars. Like that's what they do to these guys. I know. But then you have guys like. Fucking no integrity. There was uh fuck. I, his name is literally just like slipped right out of my mind, like a like a fart in the wind. I can't I can't remember his name. Or uh uh Neil Blancamp or 
Nicholas Winding Refn or however you say well, his you know, name. Nicholas Winding Refn is maintained. No, I'm just saying, but like they had this. Well, what was his last movie? Neon Demon. Oh, and then he I did, never uh, watched it, honestly. Oh, so Neon Demon. It's really good. I mean, if you like Nicholas Winding Refn, you'll probably enjoy it. Because um, I, I, I liked Only God Forgives when a lot of people didn't like it. I actually didn't mind I? that movie. I love it's kind it. of weird, weird relationship, sexual a, relationship with his mother. Yeah, but. it's like a, a Freudian nightmare movie yeah. about maternal <laughs> mothers and fathers or mothers and sons and weird psychosexual shit and culture it's a very odd movie but one, good. Of the, one of the best fucking scenes is when they're in that nightclub and it's like karaoke night yeah, or some yeah. shit anyway but uh it's a hard thing to maintain your individuality when there's so much pressure to especially in a, in a place like Hollywood, because I believe this movie made $46.2 million in reference to There Will Be Blood on a $25 million budget. Yeah, and look what they did with $25 million. And, that, and that's, that's, what I, that's really what's going on here. And not to mention, they fucked uh, the production of No Country for Old Men for a whole 24 hours. Oh, when they yeah. were doing the oil rake burn scene, it was like because they were filming, I guess, in the, in same, the same general area. region. Yeah. Yep. Or whatever. That's yep. fucking awesome. So PTA <laughs> got to fuck you anyway in there. You know, we'll respect it. Um, I, I just... It, it, keeping your individuality in a modern sense when it comes to an art form where you have to conform. And, and it's it's like even Banksy. Like I was reading the other day. Uh, Banksy fucking went out and like basically did this new mur- mural or whatever mm-hmm. in support of Black Lives Matter, which is fine. You have the exact right to do that. But it loses the sense of it, all its meaning. And it, and what PTA has been able to do throughout his career, as you've literally watched, he's known as the VHS director generation, I think is what, like, because they were the first people to get VHSs. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So he's considered the first of the VHS directors, I guess, is what uh, I was reading. Um, which I thought was interesting. And yeah, it really people that showed... had, had access to movies on the regular in well, their own house. You saw mass commercialization of these products being able to be put into every person's home, so now it became yeah, a different I mean. type of... Yeah, you, so it became a different to... type of industry, you know? Yeah, yes, yes. And it grew, and it grew, but like being able to able to go see uh, those old-school movies and being able to have a love and appreciation for them and to still, in this climate, to still make challenging confronting movies that aren't about pandering or aren't aren't about like laying one side to the other yeah and just letting the movies and the characters speak for themselves it's hard to do it's a hard thing to balance i mean in today's world as a film fan as a as a fan of art i want to see an artist's vision I don't yes. want my fucking worldview just reflected back at me so I feel good about myself. That's what I'm saying, dude. I, I don't need CNN and MSNBC. <laughs> Stop, Tim Pool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this is what we, and this is, right, this is a tangent a little bit, but, you know, there's all the controversy with The Last of Us 2, right? And we had a little, we had a little, like, uh, discussion about it one time. I will never. Privately. <laughs> no, but to me, it was just like, the thing that I don't know about the particulars, I get people not wanting to buy it. Whatever, that's your choice. But for me, I'm just like, why the fuck do I want to dictate what people make for me to consume? I don't want to do that. I want somebody's fucking... You, and I understand The Last of Us is unique in the sense that there's, there's political compromises that seem like they were made on the back end of it. I get that. But even then, I don't really care. I just want somebody's vision. I want a uniqueness. I want okay. Tell me something that I don't fucking know. Okay, Show but if you, if you saw PT, if PTA made a movie 
about any what we'd say modern controversial subject. Okay, I feel like there would be at least honesty and a perspective that would be valued through the individual experience of the main yes. character. And I'm not feel like, and this is the problem with I have with anything that is. Like the in like Marvel or you know you sit there and you see all the women rise up you're like dude that is just such pandering bullshit oh, just, in Star Wars they gotta add a kiss like it doesn't feel natural no, it feels like boxes it's yes. by committee this is the difference between authorship and then movies by committee exactly because- this is why we don't live in a democracy people okay. We can't trust anyone. We can't trust the ma- the mobs I mean, to be able to determine what is right and wrong. Even if the movie is something that I like personally disagree with or whatever, I don't care. Yeah. I'd much rather watch that. At least I don't feel like I'm being fucked with or lie or like somebody trying to be a sneak fuck, and uh, and and then and not even delivering on anything. That's the that's the worst part of it. It's just shallow. It has no substance to it. It's just to make people feel like they've done something virtuous by by uh, by buying a ticket or consuming media. No, go ahead, say it. Go ahead, say it, dude. Put the black box up because I did it too. I oh, did I, it for a second. No, I did I didn't it for a second. That. I did. No, I, did. I know. And then I, know I, then I thought about it. But then I thought about it, and I went back and deleted that shit. I was like, "What is that? What am I doing? I'm well, like, what am I doing? Am I a cult? Conforming to predetermined modes of behavior. It made, it made me think about it, and I was like, you know what? Like I, I should not have to do something to prove my value or worth to a community that doesn't really care about my opinion in the first place. So, you know, but yeah. like but when it coming back to PTA, to be able to confront the machine and to be able to confront the because if you can still because we're saying twenty five million dollars is not that much money, which in Hollywood, it's really not that much money when you're spending half a billion dollars on a fucking film. Um, it's impressive the foothold he has garnered within the industry to be able to still make content that is his. Yeah, he's one of these view. guys like uh, Fincher or Tarantino, where they just like yeah, Fincher probably even is more Fincher commercialized. Will, uh, even when he did a uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, like that's Fincher's movie. Like, there ain't no studio coming and fucking with Fincher. Like, I wonder what was and that is what, and that's the most uh, was Hollywood. It Fight Club that, did Fight Club give him that freedom? You think like having a big hit like Fight Club? Well, culturally, we could talk about Fincher for a second. Uh, basically, he had an awful experience with his first movie, which was Alien Three, and it yeah. was studio and meddling involvement wouldn't let him make the fucking movie he wanted to make. It was a nightmare, and he basically was just like, "Ah, it's never gonna happen to me again." And he gets it in writing. So you know, from seven forward, you're seeing that's Fincher. Like, seven, obviously, fantastic film. He gets final cut on everything he does not compromise he's one of these kubrick guys he's like we'll stay here for a fucking week and flip through a book i don't care it's gonna be what i want it to be like he's that guy that's the kind of dude he is mm-hmm. and uh, actors have talked to him and mark ruffalo he's like yeah when they're like the 50th take i'm like can you give me some direction and he's like ah just you know no it was good let's, let's just do it again why not <laughs> the kubrick used to be the same way yep he did tom cruise and uh richard donner like it was like a whole week or a few no, days it was S- or sydney something. pollock it was sydney pollock sorry my bad Actually, guys my guy huh? well the, the story is the first because this connects to that story that's not richard donner no it's sydney the pollock. director sydney pollock the director different oh director. but he directed lethal weapon though no richard donner directed lethal weapon god though. damn it who am i thinking of but anyway uh you're thinking of Sidney Pollack. That's, well, but the guy, I know. the guy who played that character originally was Harvey Keitel. 
Mm. And Carvey Titel famously was on the movie for like three days. And they kept shooting the same scene over and over of them, him and Tom Cruise walking through a doorway. And on like the 60th take, Harvey Keitel just looked at Stanley and said, you're fucking nuts, man. I'm fucking out of here. And he just left. <laughs> and then and then what's connects to that, because Sidney Pollack, apparently it took them a week. You know, you've seen Eyes Wide Shut, right? Yeah, you've seen it, of course. Yeah. The the billiard scene where towards no, the that's, end of the that's movie. That's the scene I'm, rep- I'm yes. referencing right yes, there. Yes, so Sidney Pollack asked Stanley, it's like, Stanley, don't you think we've, like, why are we doing, like, can you give us some direction? Like, why are we doing this? It's been a week. He's like, Jesus, Sydney, I didn't think it was going to take this long either, but isn't it worth getting right? <laughs> like, that's how they think. They don't fucking care. Once again, Daniel Plainview being represented by Stanley Kubrick, as I stated before, um, I think my theory is strong. Uh, maybe this is actually Paul Thomas Anderson's kind of like fuck you to Stanley Kubrick. He made this entire okay. film as a fuck you to Stanley Kubrick in a way. It's like I'm going to put 2001 Space Odyssey in the beginning well, and just say fuck you. I realized that when I was watching it and then I was watching a Q&A with PTA and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and somebody asked him, he's like, you know, the opening sound and the opening shot is exactly like 2001. And he's like, he's like, it probably is. He's like, I just, you know, that movie's just kind of in your DNA, you know? You can't <laughs> yeah. get away from it. I'm sure everything I've made has something of like 2001 in it. That's so that was his answer. answer. And I That's was like, cause answer. I was like, nah, dog, you're fucking you're Cause they don't PTA and even Daniel day Lewis, you watch them in interviews. They're very coy. They don't like talking about the process too much. They give these very boring answers. They're honestly not great interviews cause they don't go deep. They, won't. they don't want to give away the, the seasoning dude. They'll just They'll talk tell about, you the meat and potatoes, but they yeah. won't tell you the seasoning baby. They, you know? Yeah, they talk about all the technical aspects, yeah. and like the literal, like, oh, this is what it was like to meet Johnny Greenwood and work with him. Like, Dude, I, I watched this actually hilarious uh, video the other day, and it's a dude, he walks into his job, and he's got, like, wooden clogs on. He's, like, in an office job. <laughs> They're like, what the hell are you ma- wearing, man? He's like, I've decided... <laughs> After watching, after watching, uh, there will be blood or like a Daniel Day Lewis movie, and he's like, I've decided to make shoes because that's what Daniel Day Lewis was. <laughs> he's such a good actor, and he progressively starts turning into different characters yeah. throughout the. It's I pretty wish, funny, dude. I wish he'd been like, oh these, oh these are my new Day Lewises. You don't like them? <laughs> these are fucking baller, dog. Three like, of these in the world. It's only he, three of these in existence. He pulls his feet out. It's like got gangrene and splinters and everything, like all fucked up. Where's oh, this? Where's so this? worth it. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know what? I, he is an obsessive man uh, as far as Daniel Day-Lewis, I guess, when it comes to the process. But I also think that is part of the mystique and the beauty of uh, of his uh, process. And once again, Daniel Day-Lewis, or excuse me, Daniel Plainview, is representation and probably most success. You, know, you have to have some part of that, am- that ambition, that drive, that willingness to – because I imagine – he became an alcoholic, according to Daniel Day Lewis, because of this movie. Like for a, a year, he fought Ike alcoholism and and like yeah. had to deal with like at least problems of drinking. There's probably a little hyperbole in there because actors like the. No, 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 not Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> no, but I think uh, I think the, the he does the the work that good actors do, which he empathizes completely. He finds a way to empathize and rationalize the behavior of the character. And then tries to embody that because he can understand it. You got to understand it. You can't play a villain if you don't if you don't think you're the hero. You know, if you're that's always been something I've like. You listen to somebody like Anthony Hopkins is kind of the same way. 
they approach characters. They like he could play Hannibal Lecter. And he's like, well, I would, didn't feel like I was the bad guy. I'm just trying to exist as Hannibal Lecter, and I'm trying to understand things through Hannibal Lecter's point of view. So I don't look at myself as like an on-screen villain because mm. he has he found that connection, that human connection to the character, and I think that's what Daniel Day Lewis does, and he does it very well. Like he does embody these roles in a way that probably I'm sure it does affect his greater, larger life to a certain degree. Psyche That's why he doesn't do them very often. That's why he said he was retiring. He's too he's tiring for him. I, he, I give it a decade. He'll be back. He'll Paul be Thomas back. Anderson going to drag him back. I mean, he hasn't made a movie since what, Lincoln? No, no Phantom no, Threat. Phantom My Threat. bad. 2017? That was, that was the movie he probably. said he was uh, retiring on. Yeah. You know what? Good movie, though. And we'll talk about that one maybe again. So yeah, no, I got to do. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that'll be on this on this program. I, I mean, I say we'll just do like maybe a PTA episode every couple of weeks whenever you're free or whatever, and we'll. Yeah. I, I know, sure. I know, I know, Latell, my man, you're out there patrolling the mean streets of your, um, uh, of your station, and uh, I hope this gives you a little bit of enjoyment, and you're watching it on YouTube, so you know, Even excellent. Better. Even Make sure to subscribe. smash that like button. Subscribe. Hit the bell. You want to get notifications? Do you want YouTube to win? Do you want them to, to fucking shadow ban us? The elitists are coming for us. Dan's over here talking about chocolate kids and goddamn black squares. We're about to be banned. We've just Probably. been canceled. It's only it's only started, and I think this is a, a coming full circle. Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Thomas Anderson and what the crew did and everybody, Paul Dano and... But I think they actually found the kid that played HW like in town, like in the town where they were filming or near. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was not an act child actor. I think something to do with a police officer get pulled over. Look it up. I can't remember the entire story, but it is. He is not a child actor. He was nothing. He had done nothing before. And I don't think he's done much since. So he's interesting. Good. He's good though. But this entire process. And I think of these movies, uh, I don't think it's magic. I don't think it's I don't I literally don't think it's I mean, there's definitely luck involved as far as I'm sure funding and getting the actors you want and everyone sure. schedules lining up. But it's really a, a testament to the ability that movies can still really get done and be made in such a good way. And they're entertaining and they're, well, they're compelling and they're deep. It's just like that old saying, it's 90 percent hard work and 10 percent talent. 10% yeah. is that mysterious thing that you can't define, but 90% yeah. of what you do is just ambition. It's just hard work. It's just putting your nose to the grindstone and grinding it out. That's what it is for everything, whether it's art, any artistic goals people have, any more material goals people have. It's the same thing. To achieve those things, you have to be just willing to work. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm really happy that we picked to do this movie I really right. am. It's, any I, any I, reason to watch it will be blood is a good reason. Yeah. Dude, seriously. I watched it. I was like, fuck, it's so good. He just keeps telling me, fuck. We got to get movie. we got to get like a screening room somewhere. And then once a year, we got to like all get together with bourbon and steaks and potatoes. And, watch and vodka. Fucking, vodka. And yeah, too. a little vodka and watch There Will Be Blood on a giant screen. That would be fucking well, sick. Well, I mean, Ryan's got the projector, so. Well, that's true. That's right. We could be projector life. I mean, listen, dude, once I once I upgrade. You know, to a house that's mine, and the AC's broken right now, so I'm fucking dying inside. Okay. My glasses were fogging. If you go back and look at the beginning of the episode, like my glasses started to fog. Yeah, this is not a good time for the AC to break. That happened to me last year. Yeah, good you, times. All right, we'll talk about that after. <laughs> Nobody yeah. needs to hear about your fucking problems. It's hot, dude. Uh, I feel like Daniel Plainview struggling. 
struggling, struggling. crawling through the desert, through the rocky yeah, mountains. Exactly. On, this on is my this is my pilgrimage. Yeah. Uh, in closing, obviously, love the movie. One of the most impressive uh, films to come out in 30 years. I do think this will probably be remembered. Whether or not it's my favorite PTA, I'm not sure. I probably got to go back through and at least watch like the master. Phantom yes. Thread. I mean, I I really love the Phantom Thread. I'm gonna take um, a little boat to, to China. China. He he started actually the way Trump says China is the same way Philip Seymour Hoffman says China. Yeah, maybe China. He's maybe he's a fan. Um, okay. I like. I think history is going to remember this as his best movie, whether it is or not. I think it is such a statement. It is such a perfect execution. Like. Yeah, there's really nothing, almost not a beat missed in this movie. It's almost perfect. It's almost perfect. I would say I would say it's a a nine point nine out of ten. It's as close I, as you I, can I would get. Just, I would give it a ten. I would totally just I would just give it a ten. I wouldn't even bitch about it. I'd just be like, nah, it's a ten. Because even if it has problems, it overcomes the problem. It's not even I can't think of it. Yeah, there's nothing. I only have one problem with it. I have one what, issue. what is your that the time jump between at the beginning of the third act, I do think it turns into a slightly it's the performance is it's just a little more caricature than it was before, and I think part of the problem is we don't see there's like a beat missing in the middle of that time period that would maybe help smooth out that transition to Monster Daniel at the end. That's all. That's my only thing. And but like I said, it's so. Okay, well, go make. Why don't you go make your own fucking movie, Sean? Why don't you make yeah. your own? Movie? Yeah, I'm gonna make There Will Be Blood too. And it's gonna be about that missing thirty years. Yeah. Electric Plain View. Mm. It's gonna be about uh, what should it be about? Can't be about oil. It could be like Daniel Plainview. You find we find out he did have a son. Oh shit! Then he yeah. murders his son. And he's a newspaper man. <laughs> his name. Name is Roger Ailes. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, any type of suggestion anybody has, please shoot it down in the comments. We will definitely consider everything and all suggestions for films to talk about. Zoobox on the movie. Go oh, on the movies. Zoobox goes to the movies. If you'd like to know more about Zoobox, you want to keep in touch. Links in the description for Facebook, Instagram, and my personal Twitter. Also, links to the audio versions from iTunes, Spotify, whatever. If you listen to us on iTunes, please rate and review. Some son of a bitch gave us one star. Just okay, so we're, we're sitting at three five stars. And we're getting review bombed out here, man. Oh, my God, they've come for us already. As we're recording right now. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. And thanks a lot, Dan, for coming and talking to you.